1: Spoiled Network Podcast. This is Spoil Me, covering Crazy Ex Girlfriend, Season 3, Episode 2 To Josh with Love. In this episode, Rebecca is having just as hard a time as I am coming up with a way to get back at Josh. What she chooses to do in the end is such a profoundly terrible idea. I don't know how she made the drive without realizing what a mistake this was going to be. Welcome to Spoil Me. <laughs> to the show, everybody. I am Natasha. Thank you very much to Megan for commissioning this episode. Kids, I'm going to move this mic in a little bit. What the fuck was she thinking? The way this episode ends, I just had my hands on the side of my face. It was just what was she thinking of choosing this as the This is the kind of thing that always gets to me when people are are talking about vengeance after breakups is you've got to come up with something that will simultaneously humiliate the other person while I'm pretty sure a cat just vomited right outside my office door. Did you guys hear that? Oh, that was very graphic. I do not care for that at all. You have to come up with something that will either humiliate the other person or at the very least, like, get them to realize what a mistake they've made while somehow maintaining your own dignity. And this is part of the problem I felt with what Paula was asserting with the whole, like, lawsuit. She kept saying, oh, you'll be a hero. You'll get to keep your dignity. And I was kind of like, will she? And a lot of times what people do in order to get back at a person when there has been a breakup or a fight, what they do in response will lead the other person to realize they are way better off without this person in their life at all. This is something that women especially, I think, grow to learn is going, nothing will show you what a guy is like quicker than telling him no. And this will be true in so many, like, whenever you're telling him no, whether you're telling him no to a date, whether you're telling him no to sex, whether you're telling him no to infringing on your boundaries after you're in a relationship, whether you're telling him no to money, that is... When you really get a sense of who somebody is. And so many, so many, so many women out there have realized belatedly that the dude they thought they knew turns out to not quite be that way when he isn't getting his way. What Rebecca has done at the end of this episode is. A humiliated herself in front of everybody. The whole aim was to go into this church and out Josh in front of everybody for what he did and make him look bad. Maybe that would have worked had she just said that he left me at the altar. But instead what she does is she tells him everything she did, including the fact that she made out with her boss. Now, look, I'm not trying to be like making out with her boss and then running home and deciding to move up the wedding because of guilt is I'm not trying to defend that. Okay, trust me, I get that that is a really shitty thing to do, but we're not talking about right and wrong right now. We're talking about success and failure at getting back at this guy. And if that's your aim, you do not mention that part. What are you doing? girl if you think that's going to just make him feel bad that it's not he clearly doesn't feel bad enough already after what he did to you do you think finding out you did something to him is going to do the job no that's just going to make him feel less bad than he does and frankly so much of this episode deals with josh trying to cope with guilt but as much as he's like seeming to be coping with it I don't feel like he has he can't possibly be feeling the amount of guilt he should or else he wouldn't be doing what he's doing with that guilt. We'll get to that. So she tells him about making out with her boss. She tells him about moving there for him, which she had already pretty much said that she did at the end of season one. But this is like really hammering at home. She tells him about how she was in the bathroom two different times when he had sex and was listening. And that just makes her seem like really bonkers. All she does in this like little monologue is, is shine a light on how unstable she is, how desperate she was acting, how like impulsive she has been. And, really admits up front i have not been trustworthy because all of this stuff was going on and i never told you and i was definitely planning to marry you without telling you about it she just uh, cuts undercuts herself so badly here and i have been the the whole first 3 quarters of this episode i was so angry at seeing how Josh had decided to completely be in denial about the situation. And for this episode to end with Josh on his knees, thanking God for showing him that none of this was his fault is the most infuriating shit I've ever seen. Y'all, I cannot handle this dude having a sudden lightness of spirit. If, I mean, look, Rebecca was hugely manipulative a lot of the time. I am not like team Rebecca exactly, but Josh is a fucking child and he just, I just, and also it has still not been revealed that her mother sort of pushed Josh into proposing And I'm really wondering now if that's ever going to come up. I want it to so bad, but maybe it won't. You know, I don't know. We haven't really heard all that much from her mom. And I'm also curious what Josh's family thinks. Anyway, I'm going to back up and we're going to start from the beginning. But I just had to go into this like, what the fuck? Because Rebecca is like me in that she can be a huge plan ahead kind of person. And it was just startling to see her do something this foolish that goes against the exact goal she had been aiming for so completely that the whole point was to make Josh feel bad. And it literally does the opposite and erases all guilt from his conscience I can't get over how effectively she fucked up. It is really something. And part of me, on the other hand, is sort of like, good, all our cards are on the table, you know, like, and and I don't really want that because I, I want Josh to feel bad. So in a petty way, I'm like, keep that shit to yourself. But she has been lying so much and telling him the truth. Really, the only way that was ever going to happen was something like this, where she completely loses control of herself and just blurts it all out. I don't see her sitting down and having a fucking conversation with him about this. I don't see her, you know, any of her friends that find out about all of the things she did going and telling him or telling one of his friends and it gets back to him. So if we want to approach the story from here on out with Josh having all of the information that he didn't have before... Maybe this is the only way to get it done. But man, I don't know, man. It's just, and I have to think that this is something that somebody has done at one time or another, like in the middle of an argument, they fling something in somebody else's face that's supposed to be like, oh, I really one-upped you, not realizing that they're completely telling on themselves and have really fucked up at this point, but it feels like, The way this is written is just fair. It's in particular. It feels like somebody is telling a story they've gone through, but writ large. Um, So, okay. Starting at the beginning of this episode, we have Paula talking about how suing Josh Chan is the best thing we've ever done. Doesn't it feel great to do something rational and effective? And she says something about how ridiculous it is that Rebecca was going to mail him poop. We find out that because Josh is not living at home, wherever it was that he was living, by the way, which I don't think that it has been established. And I didn't really pay attention to the address written on the box, but it gets sent back to her. So thankfully, that one very poorly thought out idea doesn't actually come to anything. But uh, not for lack of trying on Rebecca's part. So I don't know why after she was willing to mail him those poop cupcakes, I thought she wouldn't do something like this. It's just really goes to show I'm pleased, actually, at the way the show really seems to be going through ways to get back at Josh and acknowledging how difficult a task this is. And what Nathaniel, excuse me, what Nathaniel winds up coming up with, I had said in the wrap up episode, like going after Josh's family, his family is like the only thing I can think of. But you'd have to do it in such a way that it affects him. And what Nathaniel comes up with is the most horrifying, diabolical version of what I said that I low-key hate that I even thought of it. I don't want to be in the same mind space as Nathaniel. I just don't like that I was even anywhere in the neighborhood. <laughs> um, so as they're talking, it's very clear Rebecca isn't feeling this whole lawsuit thing. She's not excited about it. She doesn't feel satisfied by it. She is looking for visceral satisfaction. And this is purely intellectual. This is a, I'm hitting him in the wallet. And honestly, because of the way that Josh is, I've already said, what money does he even have? Like, where is she getting anything? That right there, I feel like that's not effective. If he was somebody who had a lot of money and valued that money Taking that from him maybe would be something that would feel sort of satisfying, but he doesn't have anything. And he, because of what we see and how he's like operating regarding his guilt, I 100% could see that if he were the Josh that we know, but with money, and she comes at him with a lawsuit, he would be the kind of person who would comply right away with alacrity because he would be relieved that they could settle it this way and he doesn't actually have to face her in any social way. There's no real confrontation. It would be an easy way of dealing. I give her the money, she goes away. And I could see Josh being very, very pro that idea. So I really understand Rebecca not being super satisfied with this. And like I had said in the previous episode that I felt like she didn't like the idea because it wasn't because she still cared about him. And part of me wonders if that's still true. I'm not as confident about that assertion as I was once I see what she says to Paula about how, why this isn't satisfying to her. However, it's clear when she hears about what, like plans are being put into motion against his family. She at least still cares about his family. So that is still true. And she doesn't want that shit happening. Um, So, oh my God, Paulo, he's such an idiot. What a fool. Where's Jesus? Can I still have sex and be a priest? Oh my God. I love this. The two of them fucking like dogging on him. And then we jump back to two weeks ago. And it turns out that the priest that opened the door where Josh went is not actually the guy that he needs to speak to about becoming a priest. He has to speak to Father Rodrigo and Father Rodrigo evidently has Josh's number from the instant that he meets him. Father Rodrigo is not here for Josh Chan and i got to admit i love this dude he is so it's it's clear he has dealt with dudes like josh before who are just trying to make up for something that they feel guilty or ashamed about and are running from the responsibility associated with it and i can't imagine how many times he must have encountered this. I mean, religion, that is a major part of its function, is to soothe you when you feel bad about doing bad things. That's a major part of why my father got so involved in religion, was trying to atone for probably literal murder. I have no proof of this, but I am assuming. And what? How do you make yourself feel like you are turning over a new leaf and trying to be better? Religion is a very convincing way of doing that for a lot of people. So, yeah, this priest is fucking aware of exactly what he doesn't know, like what Josh did, but it's written all over him that this is like the quick answer to a thing that he did that he feels guilty about. Um, So then we get. The song that Josh sings, I've Got My Head in the Clouds, which is a very like Fred Astaire type song. I have to say, I was super impressed by this. Like Josh has been given so many funny songs and so many silly songs that the moment that he really gets to just Sing and just dance in this classical sort of way. I was like, God damn, his voice is amazing. He can dance like beautifully. I was just really blown away and so unexpectedly because I'm watching this scene with my fucking head to one side, like, oh, Josh, oh, you piece of shit. And then I've got my head in the clouds. And I was like, Word? He's out here with his fucking jacket draped over one shoulder, doing his like Gene Kelly shit, and I. This was really, really good. I re- like the the whole like framing of it in the church as well. I've got no doubts anymore. That's what religion is for, and he jumps into one side. Got anything to confess, my son? Jumps to the other side. Not anymore, priest me. Reality was getting so complicated. All the drama was getting insane. But now I've given my life to Mr. Jesus Christ. So I'm speeding down the carpool lane. God's my easy pass. And then he gives a thumbs up to a stained glass window of Jesus who thumbs up him back. I mean, honestly, guys, this is some good shit. This is really excellent. Um, Oh, so many comments. I I left and there were none and now I came back and there's a bunch. Erica says, it's funny that this episode has two of my top 15 favorite songs from the whole series, while it also introduces my least favorite theme song. It's such a fantastic song and Vinny is so talented. It's one of my favorite Josh numbers, says Megan. And Julia says, yeah, I adore that song. Um, Erica says, a great homage to singing in the rain. Oh yeah, because he does kind of do the thing off of one pillar. That makes uh that makes sense. I wasn't putting it to any particular song, but yeah, that vibe is totally correct. Um So the priest, you know, asks him, How long have you thought about this? He says, I thought about it on the whole drive up to Malibu. And the priest laughs, thinking that he's joking, and then realizes very abruptly, oh, no, he's dead serious and tells him a priest's training takes four to six years and involves getting a master's degree in divinity and you'll have to take a pre-theology class. And it's very clear Josh did not know any of this. I am delighted by this, guys, because I said way back, what even do y'all have to do to be a priest? I had no idea. Let me tell you, if you had put me to the question and really been like, what do you think you have to do to be a priest? I don't think I would ever have been like, oh yeah, you need a master's degree. Is that, is that just like this parish or whatever it's called? Or is that just like how it goes? I had no idea. Is this just how it's done now? That is... I mean, that's a pretty huge barrier to entry, I guess, but I just had no idea. And he just obviously was not prepared for this being, I mean, the, the kind of like dedicated life project that it clearly is because he did not think it through because this is not actually what he wants. He just wants to feel better about Himself, I would not be surprised if we open up the next episode with Josh having completely abandoned this. Now that he has been essentially freed from his guilt by Rebecca's monologue, he doesn't need this anymore. So he's out of here. Is my uh, my assertion and my prediction for next episode? Um, Megan says it depends on the denomination. Uh, Louise says. I was an altar server for nine years. I was well aware of how it works. This is for Catholic priests. Okay. Um, yeah. I mean, damn. I'm not like, you know, I'm not criticizing. I mean, having a big barrier to entry to somebody who has that sort of power makes sense. I'm not like upset about it, but it's just so much more of a sanction type of, of like education, I would have thought they'd have their own system. And for it to be like a master's degree, something that is recognized by many institutions, I didn't expect it to be something so sort of non-denominational, I guess. Um, But anyway, so yeah, the Father Rodrigo is like, are you just trying to avoid responsibility for something you've done? And Josh is like, no, no, (laughs) How dare you? I'm here to go to preschool. Preschool? Priest school. Oh, yes. We don't use that term for that exact reason. So Paula says, I can't wait to see his face in four to six months when a judge hits him with a $600 to $800 fine. And this is clearly the moment where Rebecca's like, wait. What? That's it? That's like a pair of shoes to which Paula rightfully responds. Maybe for you, bitch. That's fair. But no. No, no, no. Rebecca spent $10,000 just getting their wedding date. As far as everything she paid for the rest of the wedding. I mean, I am having a low key wedding of 80 people. And I went as affordable as was possible for me to go in the area that I'm going to be in with catering and all of that. It's going to cost us at least $10,000. I had a friend recently get married. She didn't even have a catered dinner. She just had snacks and sweets and it still cost her like 20 grand. I can't imagine what that venue cost and everything having to be done. Within two weeks, all of that, you get upcharged for the convenience fee, for having things like p- push to the top of the like. I, 600 to $800 fine. And look, Rebecca chose to spend that money. I am not even trying to put that on Josh. She's the one who had the money. She's the one who chose to fucking call somebody and offer $10,000 for them to push back their wedding date that's on her but i can't understand how paula thought this would feel satisfying to rebecca girl you had to know to rebecca this is not going to be enough um so she finally gets honest with her can we have a quick time out for some non-judgmental truth time i don't know about this you're working so hard the case is super clever but it just doesn't feel satisfying to me And I want to do something big. Feeling Suing Josh feels, you know, when you eat a whole bag of ice ginger snaps, but then you're like, what? There's still a hole inside me. So then you move on to shoplifting. And the next thing you're in your dorm, surrounded by unitards and fuzzy pillows from Urban Outfitters. But that hole is still there. It feels like that. Paula says, I was more of a lipstick and Sambuca shoplifter myself back in the day. Y'all. I'll be honest with y'all right now, I went through a brief shoplifting phase myself when I was going through a really bad time financially, but I was also being judged about how I looked pretty heavily at the job that I was at. And I was super angry about the fact that I was expected to look a certain way, but was not being paid enough to like maintain that. And so I was shoplifting like skincare and cosmetic stuff at Target specifically, because I felt so much pressure. And I did not have any money. And I think of that still sometimes now and I realize like that pressure and not having money was certainly a part of it. But this like hole inside was also a major factor. And I did not realize it at the time. Not at all. Um, So it's, it's sort of reassuring and also depressing to like see this talked about in this way where I'm like, oh my god, I definitely like went through this, but I didn't realize that this is a thing that so many people deal with. I, you know, one of my other friends talks about a period which she went through where she was just shoplifting, like nail polish all the time, all the time. Uh, Paula says lipstick and Sambuca herself back in the day. And I like that she immediately knows what's happening there. Um, And Rebecca wants to do something savage, but she You know, obviously, she's talking to the wrong person. She wants to do something basically like go out and like blow up his car is sort of what I hear when she says savage and brutal and primal. And that isn't how Paula works. You know, she's mm -mm, no. So it's sort of funny because Paula has been the person for whom that sort of thing would work if we were back in season one. If Josh pulled anything like this around season one, Paula. I can't imagine the things that she would have done to him because she has so much information at her fingertips and she was so willing to do the shadiest shit. And I can only imagine how disappointed Rebecca must be knowing that Paula has that like in her somewhere, but has decided actively to to not be that person anymore It's there. ooh, so close, but not quite. Um, So then we go to um, this amazing scene with Nathaniel where he is talking. He says, I can't let you down. You, the person that matters most to me. And we turn and it's the photo of him doing his like water polo with his I swear to God, you guys, this photo of him playing, is it water polo? It looks like a volleyball he's holding. I don't know. Maybe water polo and volleyball use the same ball. I don't know how it works. This is so funny. It's so funny. I would love to know where they got this photo because I can't tell. It looks like they photoshopped his face onto somebody else's picture. And that's all like, you know, they just did that. But I would love it if they really took a photo of the actor who plays Nathaniel doing this, because the idea that that was one of the first I mean, we see this photo in the first scene where he is introduced as a new character. I would love to think that his first assignment after getting hired to work on this show was to be stuck in one of these friggin little helmet baths. What, what what do you call them? Swim caps? And and I'm just, it's so good. It's so good. And he says, don't worry, Captain. I'm shaking it off. Old Nathaniel's coming back. Ice cold. In control. A real man. And then when we see him next, he is really having a moment where he wants to do a power play with every single person he comes across. The first person that he winds up coming across is, uh, what's his face? Now, I'm going to tell you guys something. And I know that some of you might be disappointed by this. But I have to come clean with y'all. The buzzing in the bathroom was the only song that I was spoiled on. I have seen this song before. Tim, says Erica. Thank you, Erica. Tim. I, it was at least a year before I started covering the show. Um, And somebody shared it in a group I was in. And I watched it and was like, wow, that was really something. And that is the only thing of Crazy Ex-Girlfriend that I was exposed to at all before starting coverage of the show. So I want to be honest that I knew this was coming. As soon as they started talking about this, I was like, oh, this is the episode where it happens because I had been kind of waiting for it. And I was like a little bit mystified at the fact that Tim is not a major character at all. There's whole sections of episodes where he doesn't show up. And so when I was like, he gets his own song. When does that happen? How does that work? And it does feel a little bit weird in this episode because he's not still not really a major character. They have him sort of play a larger role in the story this time around, but I'm not at all sure that continues or how that works. But uh, yeah, he is talking about like magazines telling women how to have better, more effective sex um, because Maya is talking about the orgasm gap. Women only orgasm 39% of the time during sex while men finish 91% of the time. That doesn't even make sense. People are orgasming 130% of the time. Oh my God, Tim. This is so good. He's so good. So the whole thing, he says something about how he's great in bed. I'm a king in the boudoir. Every woman I've ever had sex with has obviously orgasmed every time Especially my wife. And (laughs) Paula just says, you have never given your wife an orgasm ever. Not even once. And walks away. And Tim is standing there looking like she pulled his pants down in front of everybody. Paula is just such a queen. I love her so much. I love her so much. Oh, I love her so much. She's so great. Guys, I think I got really lucky with the first couple of guys I slept with in my life. Because after that, ooh boy, there have been some real stinkers in there. And dudes are utterly unaware how bad they are at sex. It's amazing how many of them think they absolutely know what they're doing. They will go so far as to tell you that you are not experiencing it right. They're doing it right. But there's clearly something wrong with you if it's not working, which is just such a fucking dude perspective. I can't get over how like perfect that is. And this causes him to absolutely obsess over whether or not his wife has had an orgasm. So the next day, he reports back saying that he had sex with his wife. And it went just as well as it always does. He is no longer worried. She did like it all went how he said where she gets up and she goes to the bathroom and she starts brushing her teeth right away. And then he talks about how he can hear the buzzing of the toothbrush through the door. And you can hear her moan when she really gets to a good spot of plaque and really gets in there. Oh, dear, honey. <laughs> it is amazing that he doesn't know. And. Once they just blurt out, that's clearly a vibrator. You can see his world just crumbling around him. And all of a sudden, all of these pieces begin to slide into place and make sense. It's just so clear to everybody else but him. And that's how this shit works, man. This is the problem. I have no problem with porn as a concept. Porn has its place in society. I believe that that is valid work. However, way too many dudes learn everything they know about sex from porn. And that's a massive problem. The women in porn are performing. They are pretending. That's the, that's the job. That's the whole thing. The sex is real. The reactions are anything but real. That's the whole, that's what you're here for is for an idealized version. And that's one of the things that dudes I think have like the toughest time with is is coming to terms with how much they have seen in porn that they begin to realize will either never happen to them or is not physically possible for them. How many porn scenes have you guys seen of a dude literally holding a woman up and like lifting her up and down on his dick? Name me one guy that is strong enough to do that to you that you've been with, picking you up and down. Are you fucking high? Get out of here. That shit never happens. You have to weigh 90 pounds and he has to spend his life in the gym. And those are the people that can pull that shit off. Never mind other weird positions. If you've got a tummy, if he's got a tummy and his, his dick isn't 20 inches long, guess what? You can't do certain positions, his dick ain't gonna reach. it's just physics. That's how it works. So dudes are out here all thinking that they are gonna try this and do that and this shit. and it is hilarious to hear them talk a talk and you slowly begin to realize, oh ho ho, honey, you have never actually tried that, have you because you would not be talking about this. You do not know that is not going to work and Tim, I mean. He He's talking about like doing what? Like two different positions I think he's got in his repertoire. He's got doggy. He's got missionary. Whee! I mean, this poor woman. Every Sunday, boring sex followed by secret masturbation and then having to pat him on the head and tell him how great it was. Honey, that was nice. <sighs> Tragic. Tragic, kids. So he he gets some some assistance here. We have this scene where he like sits down and talks to Paula a little bit later because he like meets up with her in the uh, the at the it's not even the boba place. It's now it's the like donut place. Um, My beloved and I had the best night of our 11 year marriage. She had a very satisfactory climax. And it's all thanks to the women in the office, including you. Can I talk to you guys for a second about how upsetting it is to hear Tim talking about sex at all? Because he looks like he's nine years old in the face. He is a child's face. He's a baby face. But like, not, not how people usually mean it when they say that. Like, literally, like, he stole a baby's face. And has no chin to speak of. Like, so every time that he's talking about sex, it makes me so deeply uncomfortable. Um, And Paula has no idea why he's talking to her about this. And that obviously shakes him a lot because he thought she said something meaningful, very purposefully. But. It turns out it was just a flippant comment that she made really without thinking about it that caused him to totally obsess, even though it wasn't necessarily meant for him the way he clearly thought it was meant for him. And then she digs in deeper and says, by the way, if your wife never told you she was not getting off in 11 years, that is on her I mean, clearly you have a giant communication gap between the two of you that speaks to some very deep problems in your relationship. So, and his face, you guys, I can't, she just like sees him continuing to sit there. It does not register for her at all that he is wrecked right now. And she just goes, so I'm working on a case. See you later. <sighs> Tim, what's going to happen, sweetie? I'm so sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck! That is just really rough, man. I mean, she's not wrong, is the thing. You know, if this woman is really, like, immediately having to go to the bathroom to finish getting herself off after sex, and they've been married 11 years. Paula is 100% correct. However... (laughs) Maybe just keep that shit to yourself. (laughs) So, yeah, he uh, he takes his donut and his coffee and he walks away in a complete daze. And I love that she says happy Sunday to him as he leaves, because as we know, Sundays are the day he gets down, I guess. So he's about to go and try and do that with a woman that he's realizing he doesn't know super well a weird moment um so okay let's go back to rebecca talking to nathaniel about what's going on first of all george got hired back by the way and it turns out that he is uh, this i'm honestly really glad that george is back because he's just such a weird character. I was glad to not have Maya be like taking the brunt of it for too long and have her stand up for herself against Daryl. But I do appreciate that comically you need someone in the office to be sort of like the one who, who just gets dumped on all the time. So George being that guy that works for me. Um, So, yeah, he (laughs) – this scene opens with uh, Nathaniel talking to George about getting dirt on this guy because they're trying to get his space in this area taken away. And Che Wan is the guy they're trying to dig up dirt on, but he's, like, a really good person. He, like, volunteers at a community garden and he, like – I think he – There was something at one point, like, musically, um, but he is a perfect, like, example of Nathaniel being terrible, doing bad things simply because that is how he operates. Uh, This guy grows a hobo, a salad, and you think he's exempt from capitalism? I love it. So, yeah, he says... I told you what to do. Now go do it. My neighbor's dog has been barking all night. I'll take that little bitch to the vet and get its vocal cords ripped out. And he walks away and George looks after him and goes, he's so awful. And Rebecca looks after him and goes, oh, yeah, he's terrible. He's awful. He's bad. (sighs) Cut to her in a trench coat at Nathaniel's door. It turns out that she found out where he lived via the company directory. And she tells him, I want your hard throbbing ruthlessness and I want it bad. And she says, you're the worst person I've ever met and I need you. And then we get this song that is It's really something. I need an evil genius, a monster, a dead eyed fiend. So what do you say? At first, he says, I say, get out of my apartment. And she looks a little bit taken aback. But then she's like, yeah, but hold on a second. First of all, I'm not kidding. I do really need you. I've been trying to come up with evil schemes. Everything has been bad. I have not come out with anything. Um, and then she she says, Nathaniel, I know you want me and I've been making you wait for it, but not anymore. Just listen, because he starts to be like, you need to leave. And then all of a sudden we get this cell block tango of all of these women in leotards and fishnet stockings and a red light. And Rebecca is talking about how she's wanted to be bad, but whenever I tried, it was just sad. And slowly throughout this song, she keeps getting stripped down a little bit more and a little bit more. So at first they take the uh, trench coat off her and she's just in lingerie. And I love some of the lyrics of this. Strip away my conscience, peel away my values, rip off my compassion with your teeth. At one point, she says that she'll choke on his cocksuredness. And when she said that, Owen was watching it with me and he just went, Jesus Christ. (laughs) The next day we were talking about the episode and he was just like, I can't believe she said I'll choke on your cocksuredness. And I was like, well, yeah, that clearly made a big impression on you. And he was like, it really did. (laughs) Oh God. So yeah, this, uh, this ramps up until eventually she's like throwing her bra and thong in his face. And when she throws her bra, thong at him she says that was up my butt which i just i really enjoy how much this show is like willing to try and be sexy but also like undermine it immediately you know like i i just they they don't take it too seriously but they take it just seriously enough that you're like yeah but you do mean it though um I, and them chucking her shoes at him is so funny Just this whole routine is really quite enjoyable. Um, So in the end, she's sitting in his lap and she tells him, I will let you do anything you want to me. Yes, that. Whatever just crossed your mind? That. You're telling me you don't want to do that? And he really gets this like expression on his face. She clearly got through to him. And then we see him, he has mailed her, not mailed, messengered her, this bra and panty set and dress. And when she pulled it out of the box, I was like, that shit do not look like it is going to fit them titties in it. And sure enough, when we see her a little bit later, she is not wearing that shit at all because it doesn't fit. Buying a woman lingerie is a real power move if you know her measurements Honestly, that was one of the first things that Owen did. Was he found out my bra size and sent me several expensive bras? That is a power. It's a good move. However, you gotta know because bras are expensive, guys. Seriously, if a guy is trying to ball, buying bras—that way to my heart never fails. But yeah, so we see her show up and she's in this like red dress and he's waiting for her with his back to her and these couple of glasses of champagne. It's so great because he immediately realizes she's not wearing the dress. She's like, oh, I donated that because that was uh, something that only a 13 year old girl could fit into. And then a helicopter lands and knocks over the whole table with the champagne and everything. It was just so funny, guys. I really enjoyed this. So it turns out that this is a masquerade party. She's super duper excited about it. She wants to be the tiger real, real bad. They head inside. And the whole thing is that these are some of the most powerful people in the immediate area. And he can pull some strings with a lot of them to get to Josh in a variety of different ways. I was a little bit unsatisfied with how few questions she asks about what he is planning to do. She has a couple of encounters with people who are clearly like right wingers that she has to curb her impulse to say what she really thinks about things. And then we cut to them in his apartment and him telling her we don't have to do this, you know, regardless of our deal. And she says, I want to. I've always wanted to. And I appreciated them having that moment where it's not just like he's holding her to this thing, whether she wants to or not, because a deal's a deal. They make it plain that he like gets consent. But then in the morning when she does finally ask what's going on and what he's chosen to do, and he asks, are you certain you want to know? He then tells her that he is going after Josh's family So the first thing that's going to happen is that they are going to get his sister kicked out of college for plagiarism. Uh, Cal State Northridge is the school that she's going to. And Rebecca immediately, oh, that's a bummer because she just got on the dean's list. Not as much of a bummer as what's going to happen to Josh's father. He's about to be audited for financial malfeasance. At his radiology lab, there's going to be criminal charges. And once that happens, he'll be a felon and his permanent resident status will be revoked. Guys, I have to tell you, when he starts talking, Owen immediately was like, is he going to do something to them about like their residency in the United States? And I was like, oh, my God, it didn't even occur to me. And then it turns out, yes, yes, Owen's mind was working along the same wavelength as well. So she says... Uh, Oh, my God. And he says, that's not all. Josh's grandfather is about to draw his last breath. One of the men at the party owns a chain of hospices. We have direct access to Lolo and his oxygen tank. And she's like, you're killing his grandfather? What are you talking about? Oh, my God. And it becomes very clear. That when she said she wanted him to do a bad thing, she didn't mean that kind of bad. She's really regretting all of this. She says, you know, the, this isn't making me feel any better. Your plan is not like going to work for me. And he calls her Goldilocks, which I'm like, that's fair. She says, then what do you really want? And she says the thing that I said from the beginning. Which is, I want him to face what he did to me. He left me at my wedding. He just left me like a fool standing there in that big stupid waist of an expensive wedding dress. And he didn't even let me confront him in front of everyone. He didn't let me embarrass him the way he embarrassed me. He robbed me of that moment. And... It would have made me feel good. It would have made me feel better about the whole thing. And she says, I'm sorry, you did all of this for nothing, but I got to get out of here. So this is when she heads to the church where Josh is out here collecting donations and calling people my son. And she walks in in her fucking dress and he tries to get her to go outside and talk and apologizes to father Rodrigo. And she's like, are you for real right now in front of the woman you left at the altar apologizing to this dude? Really? Is that how you want to fucking play this dude? And I, to this moment I'm 100% on board with her. I am for this plan. I don't love it, but I'm like I get it, you know? Okay, cool, good. So I will God did not reach out to you Josh. You're hiding because you're a coward. It's been 2 weeks. I have been waiting for anything, a text, email, phone call and I've heard nothing. Then he tries to show her the email draft and she says to the general audience, do you want to know what he did? And Josh is like, they don't care. But somebody yells out, we want to know. And I was like, uh, you damn right. You tell me you're not sitting in this church going, um, I, of course, I want to know. Please immediately start singing. Thank you. Um, so she starts to do a version of Paula's song about all the things I did for you that you didn't ask for. And I, it took me a minute to recognize that that was what this was, but I really did enjoy it as that. I like how this song returns or not this song, how the show returns to different songs, you know, over time. Um, after everything you made me do that you didn't ask for, I'm trying to read the actual lyrics. You pay me back with rejection, pain and loss. And after everything you made me do, and I love how she goes, that you didn't ask for. I'm the one who should be up there on that cross. And I'm like, well, that's, all, that's, all, that's fine. You want to know the things I've done for you? I moved here for you because uh, that day in New York on the street, you led me on. I whored myself out at the Beans house just to find out where you'd gone. I had to clog my garbage disposal when you ignored my calls. I watched you have sex with Anna while I was hiding in a bathroom stall. I also watched you have sex during a poop attack on Thanksgiving. I now associate toilets with heartbreak. Welcome to the hell I'm living. When you asked Valencia to move in, I was such a mess. You can ask Paula. She saw it all from the camera on my dress. I ran over Anna's cat just because I had to know if she actually styled eyebrows or if she was dealing blow. I paid some chick $10,000 to take her wedding slot. That's how I moved our wedding up. And oh, yeah, I almost forgot. You gave me that worthless proposal. And not even two weeks later, I made out with my boss when we got stuck in an elevator. And you can see Josh's face like, wait, what? And she says, you're nothing without me and my selfless humility. I held you up despite the fact you lack brains and ability after everything I've done for you. I thought love was the reason why. But now, Josh Chan, I say goodbye. And I really have to say, as much as I hated her choosing to handle it this way, she sings the fuck out of this song. She really like deliver like the rage as she sings this at him, following him down the aisle of the church. It is very visceral. It really is. I will give her that. So she leaves. Josh is left standing there staring, and. Father Rodrigo says, my goodness, son, I'm so sorry. And Josh says, sorry, you're sorry. Don't you see what this means? It wasn't my fault. None of this was my fault. There is no reason why I should feel guilty. Thank you, Lord. And collapses to his knees, thanking God. Meanwhile, Rebecca is speed walking in her wedding dress to her car, with her titties nearly hitting her in the face as she goes, by the way. speed walking when you are not wearing a sports bra, that is a dangerous occupation. And she gets in the car and sits there for a second, feeling pretty good about herself, saying, oh, wow, that felt really good. I feel so much better. I did it. I told him everything. And then finally, it begins to sink in. And she goes... Oh, my God. I told him everything. And then she gets a panicked expression on her face and suddenly cut to credits. And I was just like, bitch, what are you doing? Oh, my God. Fuck. Why would you do this? Jesus. Um. Oh, yeah. Sorry, guys. Erica and uh, Julia are going back and forth about the theme song this season, which I I'll be honest. I liked where it went in the end, but I don't love that this is going to be something that repeats. It was funny once. I don't know if I'm going to like it again. And it didn't make enough of an impression on me. So I don't really remember how it went. Not like last season's theme song really gets into your head, man. I was finding myself singing that all the time. I can't be held responsible for my actions. It's just like the way she sings it and everything about it gets into your head so bad. And this one didn't particularly like sink in at all. So we'll see. Um, And I kind of skipped over, I forgot, the scene where Josh meets up with his friends because it's Hector and White Josh who did not realize that Josh hadn't actually like seen or spoken to rebecca since the wedding day and i loved that moment when they realized that he has been hiding like this and how like they're 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 shocked by it because they obviously never even considered that that was what he had done was literally run away and hide but they are also like it's clear they're kind of like Oh, yeah. But that tracks, though, like they know who he is well enough that it seems like it just kind of lines up with who he is. And and they they are I, I won't say that they're like hard on him exactly, because that's not I mean, you can't be hard enough on Josh Chan considering what he has done. I don't think, you know, the when she says you're hiding because you're a coward, I mean, 100% correct. Um, but I do like the fact that they are extremely direct about how fucked up what he did was. They are not trying to be like... Buddy, we're here for you. We know it's, you know, Rebecca's kind of crazy, man. And like, I, it wasn't a great move, but like, you know, I get it, man. They're not mitigating this at all. They are both disgusted. And when he tells them that he was going to send an email, both White Josh and Hector, which I mean, really, if you get Hector disgusted at you, I feel like, <laughs> <laughs> but they both are like, are you fucking kidding an email? Hector says, just because you don't want to have an awkward conversation, that's why you're becoming a priest. And Josh says, I'm becoming a priest because I'm a good person who who thrives in an academic setting. And they're both like, dude, guy, come on. And he tries to say, I like it here a lot. And I love white Josh looking at him and going, oh, you hate this. It's great. It's a great moment. I loved it. So I am very, very, very curious what's happening next episode. I kind of like would what I would enjoy. I don't think they'll do this, but what I would enjoy is Nathaniel, like having slept with Rebecca, check that off his list. And he's like not interested now because I feel like that's the kind of person he is. But I don't get the feeling they introduced him to just not have it matter you know, to have him suddenly be uninterested in her. So I don't think that's how it's going to work. Um, other than that, I don't really have an idea. So I guess we'll see. But thank you very much to Megan for commissioning this episode. I'm going to double check real quick because I believe that the next one is going to be a uh, voyeur episode. Oh, no, it's a voyeur for episode four. My bad. Um, It looks like. I'm gonna have to double check that, but there's been a bit of confusion with this uh with this season because a couple of people booked things like overlapping one another. But um yeah, I I am thinking that it's going to be uh let's see, I'm booked through episode five of season three. So that is going to be ooh, this episode five will happen on nine eleven. That's too bad. There's going to be a two-month gap between episode three and four. Episode three is on July 10th. Episode four is September 4th. So just an FYI to you guys, I think I've mentioned this before, that a lot of November and December, I'm going to be completely unavailable due to the wedding. So uh, if any of y'all are interested in getting I don't know how many episodes there are per season I don't know if it's even possible to like finish season three before I go on my honeymoon but you know just wanted to alert you guys that there is going to be a, a point in time that gets blocked off fairly soon Um. alright well thank you guys again so much for coming and hanging out with me I really appreciate y'all and uh, this show is just really good and I'll be seeing you again soon with a new episode until then toodaloo motherfuckers Oiled network.